Welcome to Across Enemy Lines, a show about forbidden love. I'm Ikram Ibrahim, and in this podcast, we tell stories that explore our deepest fears, desires, and humanity. Today, we have the Israeli novelist Dorit Rabanyan. Dorit wrote All the Rivers, that tells her love story with Hassan, a Palestinian she met in New York. This story was considered so dangerous that the Israeli government decided to ban it. After Hassan died, Dorit wanted their story to live through sharing it with the world. Hello, uh, I'm Dorit Rabinian and I'm uh, talking from Israel in Tel Aviv. I'm 45, I'm, I'm an author, I wrote two novels. I was born and raised in, Isra- in Israel to a couple of um, uh, immigrants from Iran who had myself um, and my three siblings. And um, I published All the Rivers in the summer of 2014 in Hebrew. And um, the translation to English was completed almost a year ago, published by Random House in America. Amazing. Can you please tell us what connects you to people? What is the fastest way to Dorit's heart? I'm I'm really into a dialogue. Once I uh, create even the slightest dialogue with a stranger, I feel that I have my uh, I can I can <laughs> I'm privileged to enjoy my uh, humanity. <laughs> it's only when we recognize the other's humanity that we are entitled to be considered human. This is a saying by a philosopher, uh, the Jewish philosopher Immanuel Levinas, that I adore. And yes, I am into conversations. So I, uh, I am the one to bug you on the train, and I'm the one to be, <laughs> to be asking you what's the meaning of your name. Did you did you tell me what's the meaning of your name? And you said generosity, right? Yes, I'm glad you remember. <laughs> so what is the meaning <laughs> of your generous. name? Well, actually, it's a Greek name that the Hebrew adopted. It means something round, Dorit something uh, round like a circle like a circle yeah bring us all together right <laughs> so can you please take us to when you first met Hassan and tell us why Hassan and what did you see in him after i published my second novel i was uh, living in new york for a year and in the course of that year i met uh, a young palestinian artist it was uh, the first Palestinian I could talk freely to, and the per- first Palestinian I was um, <laughs> free to conduct a, re- a relationship with, in a sense that we were, we had the common ground of New York, the time and the space and the distance from the circle of influence that we had back at home if we would have met in some I don't know, checkpoint. This this was a revelation. It felt like I could open a curtain to a, a, a parallel generation of uh, Middle Easterns that were born and raised under the same sun. It's like meeting the, the, the children, someone from the other side of the wall that you could never hang out with. And here he was so charismatic, so funny, so easy to... To talk to and 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 he he took me to uh, into a group of young Palestinian intellectuals and scholars and artists and it was wow it was so exciting and so interesting and intriguing in a sense that I had to exp- 
to face so much more than than new new people and new faces and new encounters but also the sense of home was also uh in the center of our relationship and that was something i was trying to transform into the novel as well if you have a close friend who is going through a similar story what advice would you give them be generous be generous and patient help the one you care for to unleash himself from powers that uh, capture uh, elements of his individuality within those uh, limitations and boundaries of where and how he was raised. We were able to stand on a common ground. We, we enjoyed the equality that New York allowed us as a Palestinian and as an Israeli, the fact that we were both speaking English, not Arabic or Hebrew, we were also liberated from all those chains of our cultures and uh, education. And we were uh, really much exploring one another's identity and really studying the other eye to eye intimately and creating, creating some sort of a peace treaty of... Uh, to individuals and trying to overcome decades of hatred between our peoples. It, it wasn't, it wasn't perfect and it wasn't ideal, but it was true and it was very much alive. But this novel was never written unless um, the tragic way that Hassan lost his life shortly after I met him. And this is why I wrote the novel. I never intended to tell about this love story unless I needed to maintain the conversation I used to have with him. And I um, address the writing to him. Mm -hmm. And eventually, after six years of writing, I dedicated the book to him. This love story was uh, embraced by the Israelis. Mm -hmm. And then and after 18 months of this uh, great acceptance of the story, the Ministry of Education in Israel had decided to ban the book from high school curriculum. Yeah, the Ministry of Education, led by a right-wing religious politician who is uh, apparently ruthless, <laughs> and he found the book to be, and I quote, dangerous to the Jewish identity because it might encourage romantic involvement between Jews and Arabs and le lead somehow to assimilation. It just... It shows the power of your book because if it wasn't effective and powerful and really building bridges and creating, as you said, intimate peace, they would have not banned it. Yeah, I, I thank you. I, somehow, somehow, I, I, I find this need to uh, witness for my work that the merits of the story. Is is for its uh, subtleness and and tenderness, mm. and and by banning it, they they somehow circled around it uh, and and labeled it as as provocative. It's it's not it's not a work of provocation. It's a letter of love. It's a it's a letter of peace. It's a letter of uh, a dialogue, uh, correspondence, something that is very much uh, excluded in the. Israeli public nowadays debates the hands of politicians and 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 ministerial committees they have nothing to do with the intimacy of literature 
and they had put their greasy hands in my work. So I have to defend my work from being acknowledged as something sensational. It's banned for its humanity and it's banned for its being too uh, generous with the observation of the Palestinian other through the Israeli eyes. Can you please take us back to Brooklyn, 2002, when you met Hassan? What was the moment when you clicked and felt like, oh, I'm getting into trouble? You know, fiction writing has this uh, toll that it takes over the narrator, the, the, the storyteller. You, you, you somehow mix the actual concrete memory with this distant portion of imagination that it changes the memory. And I cannot now absolutely recall the, the certain day or night or moment in the course of uh, knowing him. I just, uh, I, I, I would witness as Liat, my, my Israeli character, when she meets uh, Khilmi, mm-hmm. who is... Um, who is inspired by Hassan, and Liat is inspired by me, and their connection is uh, very immediate, and they feel very much uh, homies when they meet in this uh, New York uh, frozen, snowy uh, background. I mean, their voices, they pronounce their uh, names with head and with, uh, like with very throaty kind of um, pronunciation. They very much look alike. They resemble one another in their features and in their skin tones and their body language speaks the same. And there is something about their mentality and perhaps more than anything, this um, temper of Middle Easterns uh, that they recognize one in another. They recognize home and they get the, these two very quickly to uh, be uh, to become friends and lovers and um, very much bonded by a sense of uh, mutual destiny. Yes, but let me tell you something, because what you're saying here is like extremely deep and extremely dangerous at the same time. So... <laughs> So, because yes, Middle Easterns recognize each other. I'm a Middle Eastern, I'm Egyptian myself, so I can relate. And um, and definitely we have this warmth. But as well, the reality is each come with the baggage of like stereotypes and negative framing and dehumanizing the other narrative. So I wonder like how easy it is because I, I wonder I imagine or I assume when you saw Hassan you were like oh but you are Palestinian so what keywords come with that is it Arab terrorist enemy friend foe and I wonder what keywords came to his mind when he saw you too sure sure I I, I go through this vocabulary of uh, animosity in their uh, encounter, it's not uh, smooth and it's not easy, and they both uh, carry uh, so much luggage that is beyond their recognition at at the time. And it's not like they're liberated 
and become free of all those frames of thoughts and all those imprints that both Palestinians and Israeli carry with them knowingly and unknowingly. They do struggle with it and they do uh, confront it, one between himself and one in front of the other. And it's very much uh, fuels their relationship and their contemplation. Is it doomed for them to be impossible one for another? If you remember, there's a scene on their first night together when they walk the streets of, uh, of Manhattan and there's somehow a mirror that they pass by and and there's a, some some sort of a tricky illusion of another mirror that they see their reflections being multiplied in infinity yes. and liat has this thought that each of them carries or walks around the other when there are, there's a line of many 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 israelis who are going after her back and many 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 palestinians who are walking after his back they're not separated from all those powers, from all those uh, echoes, from all, all those um, influences that yeah, that they, they share. Yeah. But this is what makes the their intimate conflict to keep the tension within their relationship. And they have, each of them is uh, questioning all those uh, prejudices and sometimes they they, they they let go of prejudice. And sometimes when they're mad at one another, they have all those prejudices renewed. If you remember, there's, there's this weekend that they go outside of the city and she drives and they, they get to crawl, to, to get into this fight between themselves. And all, all those prejudices prejudice are coming back to her. And she says, oh, those Arabs with their pride stuck in their throat. And all those victimized uh, attitude towards everyone, those Palestinians blaming everyone but themselves. And it's, it's, it's funny how you can love somebody and feel the closest to, but once you have um, something to itch you, then he, all, of, all of a sudden, after you have redeemed him from this sack of, of a multitude, all of a sudden, you throw him back into this sack of multitude and, <laughs> and have him ac accused with all those faults that uh, you that your people um, keep against his people, and it it it's it's grotesque, um, but it's human. It's always the human behavior that pounds underneath the psychological course of the characters. I feel it would be very helpful as well for our listeners to know how did you cross that boundary? Because when those thoughts come to your mind, they are real. They come to each and every one of us when we meet either a stranger on the street that we have some stereotypes against or when we have a lover who is different from us. So how do you reconcile that with yourself? It's a great question. It's an, uh, it's an unsolved mission. It's not something that you consume and then you're done with it. It's an ongoing tribal instinct that is facing your need first to have yourself out of this sack of uh, nationhood feelings, all those frames that you are captured within. And then you, you want to have the redemption for the one that is closest to you. And you know that he is who he is. And 
it's the greatest thing that you can both be rescuing one another. It's not something that is done, and once you, you've done it, then you're over it. It's continuous. It's worth this uh, voyage. It is a constant battle and constant journey of growth. For me, the way I deal with it, and I wonder if you would relate, is that I just remind myself that those frames in my mind are just frames and I inherited them and they are not necessarily true. And it is my work to figure out if they are true. I have to see the person for who he is, not put him in a box of framing that is inherited through you know generations and generations and maybe actually polluted through media or through people who are just like um, not honest, you know? We're all slaves of some superstitions or beliefs or uh, systems of uh, thoughts. I agree. Um, but above all this, we're we're universal and we're you're, we're we're beyond uh, what we we were taught to think or taught to to know of the other. And that brings me back to the ban and brings me back to this need of the Israeli government to keep the, the, the current Israeli young generation kept within this wave of nationalistic, enclosed, clamped uh, wave, because we've been swept with it, and that's what keeps them in power. So they want people to shut their eyes and close their ears and to, to self-believe this ongoing self-narrative and self-justifications and be, and be fortified with their own rationalization and not be able to do this step towards the other. I mean, this is what literature suggests us with. I mean, reading Lolita, I go through the through, under the skin of a child molester. Mm. Reading uh, a Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky, I go through under the skin and I wear the gaze of a murderer to be. We don't uh, practice empathy only to to those that we familiar with. We do this huge gesture of the human psyche to go under the skin and to adopt the gaze of the other, that it's not necessarily whom we feel immediate related to. But this is a huge thing that this tool of empathy gives us, the ability to cross from one identity to another's identity. And this, this act of identification, it's so huge that my book had was blamed that it might encourage the sense of the other as close and as human and as relatable and perhaps as common as we are to ourselves. Yeah. So I, um, I, I was suggested to, to take this, uh, this ban from the curriculum to be considered some, somehow a compliment uh, or, or, uh, or a prize. <laughs> Because uh, I must admit that due to this ban, I sold many copies. The limitation that government was uh, aiming to put on my literary work had pulled its, its uh, opposite reaction by the Israeli liberal tribe that had marched 
to the Israeli bookshops and buy and bought my book for in many copies and and had uh, spread the rumor that this book has to be read just because it's it's found to be again quote dangerous to the Jewish identity of the young readers. So really we're not only not only fifty uh, percent of the Israeli um, population is still believes in the hope for peace. It's not only the power of the Netanyahu regime that colored us all, but it's true that we're been going through many changes and many powers from within Israel are trying to reshape the structure of democracy. That it's the air that we breathe, is the spirit of this place, is our freedom of speech and freedom of thought. And uh, my book became somehow uh, a, a symbol for the threat over the freedom of speech. That is amazing to hear. Um, I wonder mm-hmm. if at the same time, while you're trying to be loyal and to yourself and, and being authentic, did you feel at some point that you were being disloyal to your tribe or your people? This is the constant uh, battle that both Liat and Hilmi are, are going through. Consider yourself a, a universal spirit, someone that is beyond the obstacles of a language or a culture or the way that you were raised by. And the other, the other instinct that is also should be respected, the tribal instinct, that it's a good, healthy instinct to be, to be empathetic to your own people and to care about them and to share this sense of uh, belonging. It's, I think it's... It was, I find it that the liberal ethos of the past, let's say, three decades had neglected that important need, that important instinct of feeling belonged and the sense of belonging. And that should be much more, um, should be given much more, much, much more recognition that it's as significant as the wish for us to be cosmopolitan, global village. So I have them both, I have them both somehow um, shift <laughs> constantly between those tr- on this range of their individuality and their collective belonging, the collective frames of growth. And they're very much individuals, yet they have this pulse pounding in them. They have their DNA carried with them overseas when they meet in New York. They don't start from scratch when they see one another. They are themselves. And, and eventually, the, the, the themselves that they carry to New York and when they go back to their tribes, it's uh, perhaps um, even stronger to, to, to decide their wishes. They don't only follow the wishes of their heart. They have their family and their friends and their nationhood feelings also to demand their share of their decisions and their choices. Dorit, I'm really very grateful to have had you. You have been so generous with me and with the world and with the readers through taking us through your emotions and mind and love. Generous with Hassan, I'm really, really grateful to have met you and thank you for being with me. Thank you so much, Jacob. It was a pleasure, a true pleasure. I send you best regards from Tel Aviv. Thank you.
have the snow <laughs> melt quickly. Yes, please. <laughs> we need that. <laughs> I send you a sunlight. Thank you.